Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, that number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. Also, you can hit us up on the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. Also, you can hit us up on Twitter at go for it again. That's G O F O R I T G A N T. Go for it again on Twitter. And while you're there on Twitter, at go for it again, you can give me a follow at go for it again. Great show lined up for you today. I expect to be joined by former Eastern Carolina, excuse me, Eastern Kentucky wide receiver Tyrone Gord as he comes on and talks about his preparation for the upcoming NFL draft. Also, possibility here. We had this uh, guest confirmed for today. I know something came up for it with him, so we're not sure if we'll get him on today, but we're expected possibly to be joined by Robbie Jones, actor and one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit movie, Temptation. Also, Robbie played a little basketball in his day as he played at Cal, at the University of Cal. So, possibility for Robbie Jones. If we don't get him on today, we expect to get him on uh, at some point uh, in the near future. Also, expected to be joined by our TV insider, Brian Sheriff. And Brian's going to talk about the weekend in TV. I know baseball is about to get started. I know you have the Elite Eight with the uh, NCAA tournament. Women's tournament still going on. A lot of great things going on this weekend on television to watch. So make sure you tune in. Brian Sheriff is going to be joining us, our TV insider. He's going to give us the lowdown on what's going on in the world of TV this weekend. Should be interesting to get the Sheriff's take. I want to start right now with March, with March man. This last night we saw a lot of exciting action last night in college basketball. I mean, especially that Michigan-Kansas game. I mean, that was a back-and-forth ball game. That was a game where, you know, Kansas had it. Obviously, Kansas had that game. They had that game. You make the free throw, you move on. It's that simple. You make a free throw in regulation, the ball game is over, and you move on, and that is Kansas. That's what what would have happened if Kansas would have made that free throw. I mean, he should have made that free throw. Elijah Johnson. Elijah Johnson, I mean, he had an opportunity to put the game away. Had an opportunity to put the game away, and he didn't do it. He did not do it. He did not do it. And because of that, Trey Burke did what Trey Burke has been doing throughout the course of this college basketball season. Trey Burke hit a big-time three for Michigan, and Michigan 
was able to put it into overtime, and ultimately Michigan was able to win it in overtime. Not a good day to be Elijah Johnson. Not a good day to be Elijah Johnson. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, this is a guy, you know, had an opportunity to seal the deal. He had an opportunity to seal the deal. And when you have an opportunity to seal the deal, you have to seal the deal, especially in a, a win or go home situation. You got to seal the deal when you have an opportunity to put the ball game away. You have to. You have to. And the reality is, when you have an opportunity, when you have an opportunity, and Michigan, you know, their team is too good. It's too good of a ball club to let them hang around. And that's what you did by missing those free throws. You gave them one last opportunity. And giving them that one last opportunity, Trey Burke killed you. Trey Burke hurt you. Trey Burke has been hurting everybody throughout the course of this season. I mean, Kansas at one point was up 14 points in this particular ballgame late in that second half, what, seven minutes ago. They were in control of that game. They were in control of that game. But Michigan battled back, and they continued to battle back in these in this in this particular ball game throughout the course of this year. Give the Michigan Wolverines a lot of credit. But this is a game where, where Bill Self and, and and Elijah Johnson and and all those guys, uh, you know, they're 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 probably not doing too well today. Today is probably not a good day for Coach Self and Elijah Johnson and the rest of the Kansas Jayhawks. Just probably not a good day. And, you know, this is uh you know, this is Holy Week and you know, yesterday was Good Friday, but yesterday really was not good for Elijah Johnson. Just wasn't good. He had an opportunity, had an opportunity to put the ball game away. Had an opportunity to put it away. A team as good as Michigan, a team as good as Michigan, when you have a team as good as Michigan, you have an opportunity to end this. But you had an opportunity to end it. You had an opportunity to put ice on this game, an opportunity to put some ice on this game, and you didn't do it. You didn't do it. And then Elijah Johnson, the last, the Kansas's last shot there in overtime, gave up what what seemingly was a was a layup opportunity for a three pointer. Threw it out for a three pointer. It was missed, and Michigan went on to win the ball game. But I mean, Elijah Johnson, I, I, it's a case where he went for it. He went for it. Not necessarily him scoring the basketball, trying to score the basketball in that particular situation. But he he went to his guy Tharp, and he wanted Tharp to to end this ball game. And that's what Tharp tried to do with that running three point shot. Seems like Johnson had a better look than Tharp. It really did. It seemed like Johnson had the better look in that particular situation. But he did not capitalize on the look that he had. And ultimately, Michigan was able to move on. Is moving on to the Elite Eight. Michigan basketball. You look at Michigan, 
you know, I saw this tweet from, I don't remember who tweeted it out, but Tim Hardaway Jr., Glenn Robinson III. I mean, you know, it kind of ages you a little bit. You know, I'm only 37 years old, but I'm starting to feel a little old now when, I, when I'm seeing the kids of Big Dog Robinson. I'm seeing the kids uh, of Tim Hardaway out here uh, getting it done. I mean, it, it makes you feel a little older. It makes you feel a little older. And that's the way I feel when I see these guys out here playing, when I see the Hardaway Juniors, when I see Glenn Robinson's the thirds. You know, I, it just it's just weird sometimes when you, when you see that. But anyway, Michigan moves on. And Florida, Florida Gulf Coast, I mean, that was going to be a big game. That, that was an interesting game, a very compelling game. You got Florida Gulf Coast University, their 15th seed. You know, no one or, you know, a seed that low has not been this far. And Florida Gulf Coast University, I mean, Dunk City, I mean, these guys, they get up and down the court. And you saw early where you were like, oh, my goodness, this team is up 21 to 11. This team is up 21 to 11 in the first half, and you're saying, oh, my goodness, this team is going to the Elite Eight. This team will go to the Elite Eight. But you know what? Florida is a good team. Florida can get up and down just like Florida Gulf Coast University and Michael Frazier. Those two big threes, I mean, in the corner there, they were big. They were big, and that started a 16-0 run late in that first half. In a lot of ways, from there, Florida never looked back. Not a lot of ways, they never looked back. From there, they didn't look back, and they, they took control of that game. But what a run by Florida Gulf Coast University. Sherwood Brown and those boys. What a run. Dunk City, baby. It's a lot of fun watching that team play. They, they play with a lot of energy. You, you just love their energy. You love the energy that Florida Gulf Coast University plays with. Brent Comer, the, the big-time point guard for Florida Gulf Coast University. You love the energy that this team plays with. They play with a lot of energy and play with a lot of energy throughout the course of this tournament. And this is why they've gotten as far as they did. They got far here, folks. I mean, this was, this was a big-time run by Florida Gulf Coast University. Big-time run, but it had to end. You didn't think this team was going to win it, did you? Talent-wise, you were saying maybe they had a shot. You were saying maybe this team could win it. But Florida was Florida's just too tough. Florida's just too tough for Florida Gulf Coast. I mean, just too tough. Florida's a tough team. Florida's a very good ball club. Very good ball club. And the thing about it is, you know, this was a great run by Florida Gulf Coast University. Maybe this wasn't, you know, the 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 style the style stylistically in terms of matchups. Maybe this was wasn't the matchup for them. A team that can run with this team, a team that can get up and down the court just like Florida Gulf Coast University. They can get up and down the court too, Florida. So stylistically, this probably was not the best matchup for Florida Gulf Coast University. It wasn't, and it turns out it wasn't because ultimately they would lose. I mean, Florida, you know, Florida Gulf Coast University had a great run. The Eagles were, were playing some big-time basketball early in this game. They were playing big-time basketball early in this game. But, again, Frazier hit those two big threes, and it, that kind of ignited Florida. That ignited Florida, and ultimately Florida took it over, and ultimately they would win this game. 
by 12. But I was, you know, I know Duke and Michigan State was on at the same time, but to me this game was was more compelling for for me because, you know, the Cinderella story of Florida Gulf Coast University. You know, a 15th seed, Florida Gulf Coast University. A program that just turned D1 a few years ago. I mean, a university that started, what, in 1997? I mean, this was a compelling story, the 15th seed. This, this was a compelling story, and this is why you love the NCAA tournament. This is why we love the madness, the David and Goliath story. I mean, that, that we get the David and Goliath story with Florida Gulf Coast University, LaSalle, you know, teams like that. David versus Goliath. We love that. We love that story. We love how the little guy beats the big guy. We'll come back to that story, that storyline, every single time. America loves the underdog. Florida Gulf Coast University was the underdog. America loves the underdog. We are in love with the underdog. We love them. We love the underdog. We love when little beats big. We love that. And this is why we love the NCAA tournament. Obviously, we love the finality of it all. Win and, and advance, lose, and go home. We love that. All the pressure involved. That one shining moment. That's what we love. We love that one shining moment. And the names that come out from these tournaments. The Sherwood Browns. Brent Colmers, the Southwest Philly floater, Tyrone Garland from LaSalle. I mean, we, we all these names that we don't hear too much about during the regular season, but come tournament time, these are the names that come out of the woodworks, seemingly. Out of the woodworks. Come out of nowhere. These are names we fall in love with. The teams we fall in love with. We fall in love with these names and these teams. March Madness, that's why we love it all so much. David versus Goliath. We love that story. March Madness, in a lot of ways, epitomizes at least the first week, guaranteed at least the first week of the tournament, that epitomizes David versus Goliath. And that's why we love this tournament. And that's why we'll continue to love this tournament. That is why we love this tournament also well, all so much. And now, you know, today, the Elite Eight, Syracuse against Marquette, and this is for a spot in the Final Four, and then Ohio State versus Wichita State. Should be two very good games. Wichita State, I mean, they just overwhelmed LaSalle with their size. They just overwhelmed the Explorers with their size. There was just too much size, too much size for LaSalle. Wichita State had just way too much size for the LaSalle Explorers. Because of that, they were able to win that game. They were able to win that game because of their size. Size is what? dominated that game. The size of Wichita State is what dominated that game. The size of Wichita State 
is what ultimately moved them on against Ohio State, which is going to be a tough game. For That's going to be a tough game for both ball clubs. And then you have LaSalle Marquette, two Big East rivals. I mean, not LaSalle Marquette, Syracuse Marquette, two Big East rivals. Syracuse now moving on from the Big East to the ACC. And, you know, at some point where we seem to forget, you know, we, we always forget in a lot of ways. It's funny. You know, we, we're, we're starting to forget where these guys are in terms of what conferences they're moving on, who's moving there, who's moving here, who's playing in this conference and that conference, so on and so forth. I mean, you know, we, we, we it gets confusing at times. And I remember Jim Behines said this uh, a while back. He said, you know what, let's just put all the teams on the table and let's just have, just have a conference draft. Let's just draft. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like it should be that way. I mean, you're just forgetting in a lot of ways who's there, who's where, who's going here, who's going there, who's in what conference and that conference. And, you know, obviously the conferences don't make any sense geographically. I mean, Syracuse playing in the ACC, that makes sense to you? Geographically, does that make sense whatsoever? No, it does not. Syracuse and, and, and Central New York, and, you know, I, I mean, it just – does not geographically make sense. And I think these conferences have stopped making sense because of all the expansion, because of all the moving. It just doesn't really make geographical sense anymore. And it's just that at this point, I mean, you know, Big East was great for a long time. Not for a long time. For, you know, well, obviously for a long time and great now. I mean, the great then and great now. It's been a great conference. And to see it get broken up like this, you know, it's it's sad and it's sad to see. But it is what it is, and big business and money always wins out. Money always wins out. Money has a way of, of changing a lot of different things and manipulating a lot of different people, so on and so forth. Money rules the day. Money rules the day, and football is king right now. Teams are trying to get that football money. These colleges and universities, I should say, are trying to get – that football money, and that's big. That's big. But the, these, I mean, you know, the, the the movement with all these conferences and everything is just all about dollars and cents. This is truly about dollars and cents. But it is what it is. It is what it is, and, you know, we've got a lot of great games going on today to decide who goes to the Final Four, which should be, very, very exciting. Two very good games. Two teams I think that are fairly evenly matched in Wichita State and Ohio State and Syracuse and Marquette. So I'm, you know, this is a, these are good basketball games to watch. And how about the games tomorrow? How about the games tomorrow? Michigan and Florida and Duke and Louisville. I mean, everybody has fallen in love with Louisville, especially after that run they had in the Big East tournament, ultimately winning the Big East tournament. Louisville has been impressive. Louisville has truly, truly been impressive in this tournament. He's been playing some big-time basketball of late, and, you know, the mighty Duke Blue Devils. It's always exciting. Duke and Louisville, Patino against Coach K. That's exciting, man. That's, that's truly, truly exciting. And, and that's something I'm looking forward to. Coach K against Rick Patino, Duke against Louisville, two very good basketball teams. 
That's going to be the highlight probably of the weekend. Duke Louisville is probably going to be the highlight of the weekend. Has to be. I mean, that, that that's two great programs, two great coaches, two great teams right now battling it out to determine who goes to the Final Four. I mean, that's going to be great. That's going to be truly, truly great. And I'm looking forward to it. The highlight of the weekend, I believe, Duke, Louisville. I mean, all for all the marbles. I mean, this is to go to the Final Four. This is to go to the Final Four. This is to go to the Final Four. This is go to go to the Final Four, and this is going to be very, very exciting. Great programs, great coaches, and great teams all adds up to great basketball. So get your popcorn ready. I know a lot of you are going to be celebrating the Easter holiday, so a lot of you are probably going to have some good food there as well, wherever you're going to be. Get it all ready. Get it all ready. Duke and Louisville, pull up a seat. Don't move. Two and a half hours of excitement. Two and a half hours of exciting basketball. Two 30-win teams, two dominant basketball teams, two great programs, two great coaches. To me, the game can only be nothing. It can't be nothing but great. It has to be great. And I'm looking forward to it. Duke, Louisville, for it all. Should be very, very exciting. I want to switch gears now to the NBA. The streak is finally over. It's finally over. It ended at 27. The Miami Heat finally have lost. They finally have lost Wednesday night in Chicago. The Bulls, the depleted Bulls in that particular ball game. You know, no Marcos uh, Bellinelli, no Joe Kim Noah, no Rip Hamilton. I mean, you're talking about big parts of their team, of course. No Derrick Rose. I mean, you're talking about a lot of people who are out in this game. You're talking about a lot of players who are out for the Bulls, but the Bulls came up with a big-time effort. And the thing about it is, the thing about it is, you look at that game, you knew that the Miami Heat were going to get the best effort from every team from this point forward. I mean, you knew that this was going to be like Game 7 for a lot of teams. This is like Game 7 in the NBA Finals for a lot of teams. Now, the Bulls, on the other hand, the Bulls are a team that, you know, they're a team that I guess you could say they have some playoff and championship aspirations, especially if uh, Derrick Rose can come back. This is a tough team. This is a team that's not going to back down from anybody. As we saw in this game, they beat LeBron James up. I mean, what you thought it was late 80s, early 90s basketball. There, I mean, you know, LeBron get, taking some, getting tackled by Kirk Heinrich. LeBron getting beat up there by Todd Gibson. 
LeBron throwing a little shoulder into Carlos Boozer. You thought it was eight, late 80s, early 90s NBA playoff basketball because it had a playoff feel there in Chicago. Had a playoff feel in Chicago. And I said this before. I said this throughout the course of this streak. It was an unbreakable record. The 1971-1972 Lakers 33-game win streak is an unbreakable record. It's an unbreakable record. Bottom line, there is no team, and this, well, Miami got close, six games short, but I don't envision any team in the near future, well, not in the near future, I don't expect any team ever, and, and I hate to say ever, because they always tell you to never say never, but I have to say this. This rule, this not this rule, this, this streak is an unbreakable streak. It can't be broken. Too much has to happen for you to achieve this streak. Miami is the perfect team in terms of winning 33 games in a row because of the players that they have, because of the star power that they have. Dwayne Wade is off, LeBron picks it up. LeBron is off, D-Wade picks it up. Both are off, maybe Bosch picks it up. So you have all that star power. So if there's one team in the NBA that can win 33 games in a row, it's this Miami Heat team, the way it's presently constructed. But the reality is, too much has to happen. Too much has to go your way for you to win 27, 33 games in a row. I mean, too much had to happen for the Heat to win 27 games in a row. A lot of close calls along the way. Dwayne Wade missing a couple games along the way. But this streak, it ended, but it's truly, truly impressive. It's truly impressive, an impressive streak. And to be honest with you, I'm about to say I'm about to go on record as saying that this 27 game win streak by the Miami Heat is an unbreakable record. I don't see another team in the near future winning 27 games in a row. So much has to happen in the NBA to win 10 games in a row. Heck, so much has, so much has to happen in the NBA to win five, six, seven, eight games in a row. So much has to happen. So much has to happen for you to be successful over that long haul. So much has to happen. It was a great run. It was a great ride. And I wanted this Heat team to break this record. I wanted them to break this record. What, 27-game win streak, what, the longest in sports? The second longest in sports ever? The second longest in sports ever. I mean, that tells you how impressive this streak was. That tells you all you need to know about how impressive this streak was. 27-game win streak. 27-game win streak. That's amazing. That's amazing. 
It's hard to do. It is hard to do. There's not too many teams in sports who can win 27 games in a row. And the reality is only, you know, only sports you really could do it in is hockey and, and baseball and basketball. I mean, I guess you, you, I mean, you could do it in football, but that's over, would be over a two-year span. But give the Miami Heat a lot of credit. The streak was impressive. And to me, if, if I'm Eric Spolstra, if I'm Pat Riley, I think I'm happy that it's over. Because now we can get back to the business of what you really set out to do, and that is to win a championship. That's what you set out to do. That is to win a championship. That's your goal. That's your goal. September and October to win that title. Not a 33-game win streak. Not a 33-game win streak. Did I think this team really wanted it? I think they did. And, and why not? Why not be immortal? Why not be talked about forever? Why not be talked about forever? The Miami Heat had an opportunity. They had an opportunity. But give the Bulls a lot of credit. Now, I don't, I don't think – well, you could argue maybe the Bulls – have found the blueprint, if you will, to beat the Miami Heat. The way to beat the Miami Heat is to beat them up. That's the only way you could beat the Miami Heat. Maybe that's what the blueprint is, beat them up. And, I, I mean, I think the, the reality is the blueprint, I think, is to you got to be physical with them. You need some size, which helps. You have to do what they do the worst. They don't rebound too well. That's a something that they struggle with. So that's something you have to, to do, do well. That's something you have to be good at, rebounding the basketball. I mean, this team is 30th in rebounds per game. So the reality is you got to beat them up on the glass. You have to beat this team up on the glass. You have to be physical with this team. Wouldn't hurt to have a low post presence against this team. That's what you have to do against the Miami Heat. And just looking around the league, who out there poses that? Who has that? San Antonio has it. Memphis, if they can get to the NBA Finals, have it. The Pacers have it. They have the size, the post play to beat up. The Miami Heat, they have it. Maybe Brooklyn with Brooke Lopez, Reggie Evans. But, I mean, San Antonio, Memphis are the two teams that really truly come to mind in terms of teams that can beat the Heat up. Chicago can too, but I don't know if Chicago has the firepower, especially without Derrick Rose, to beat the Miami Heat. And that, to me... You know, even the past two years, I mean, the Bulls last year, even going into the Bulls last year when they were going into the playoffs last season, even the year before where they had the best record in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the Bulls had the best record in the Eastern Conference the past two seasons. And every time, the key thing to me was, yes, the Bulls 
have the size to give the Heat trouble. Yes, I see that. But the thing about it to me was I thought this team was too reliant on Derrick Rose. But, you know, 2010, 20, and the 2011 season, I thought they were too reliant on Derrick Rose when they won 62 games and they played the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then you saw the funny thing about that, those particular Eastern Conference Finals, is first game, Chicago Bulls come out, you know, Taj Gibson has some crazy dunks in that game, and the Bulls just seem to out-physical the Heat. And you were saying to yourself, maybe the Bulls are the team to beat here. And then the Miami Heat took it over from there. Didn't lose a game in that particular series after that one, and ultimately they would dominate that series. And then last year, going into the to the playoffs, you were thinking possibly, okay, the Bulls, again, a lot of struggles with injuries throughout the course of that season, last season. But, again, you know what? They still managed to have the best record in the Eastern Conference. And then Derrick Rose, game one, Eastern Conference, quarterfinals against the Philadelphia 76ers, rips up his knee, tears the ACL, and guess what? The Bulls' playoff hopes are in the dumps as they would lose to the Philadelphia 76ers in the first round. But again, we thought maybe the Bulls could contend against the Heat. I didn't, to be honest with you. And it's easy for us to say now, but I didn't back then. I just didn't feel like the Bulls had enough firepower. And to me, even if Derrick Rose comes back, which I don't think he I don't think he will. I mean, it's just, it's been a long time now, and at this point, do you really, without giving him any type of regular season games, do you really want to put him in a pressure-packed situation like the NBA playoffs, have him out there for the first time this season? Is that what you really want to do where the stress level goes up for everybody in the playoffs? Do you want him to put him in that particular situation? I think you want to get him a couple regular season games before you put him in a playoff game. With that being said, it doesn't seem like he's going to come back this season. I'd be surprised if Derrick Rose came back this season, and quite frankly, he probably shouldn't come back this season. This probably would not be a good idea for Derrick Rose. It's probably not a good idea for him to come back this season at this point. To me, I think it would be a colossal mistake if the Bulls, and I don't think they're rushing him back. And obviously, I think the the route that Derrick Rose is taking is the smart way to go. It's the smart way to go. And, I, I, and you know, I talked about this before, but I think a lot of us now are, you know, guy tears his ACL like an Adrian Peterson, comes right back and is very dominant. I, I, I mean, that's the exception to the rule. That's the exception to the rule, Adrian Peterson, what he did. So don't don't start thinking now guys are tearing their ACLs and coming back and being dominant. I mean, you know, Adrian Peterson, what, towards ACL in December, it was coming back, came back, you know, and was dominant. Came back and was dominant. 2,000-yard season was absolutely dominant. You know, the, the, the MVP of the NFL. Let's not, though, think that guys can come back just like that from ACL injuries, and be the same person, the same player right away. Don't put that type of pressure on people. What Adrian Peterson did was the exception. 
and Derrick Rose, I mean, you know, the pressure, and, and you know, I, maybe you know, I, I don't think the Bulls are, are pressuring him per se. And I think the route that he is taking, working to try to get confidence, working to make sure that he is 100%, is the right route to go. That's the right way to go. The right way to go. So I commend him in taking this this route and, and, and being safe and doing it the safe way. Safe way from the standpoint, if you're not ready, don't force it. Don't rush yourself back. Bad things can happen when you rush yourself back. That's just the reality of the situation. So I think Derrick Rose is doing the right thing and taking his time and coming on back from this ACL injury. But we'll see how it turns out. And, you know, speaking of the Heat and, and the Chicago Bulls, a lot of talk, you know, LeBron James and, and the Heat and the Bulls, you know, a lot of physical play. LeBron James chirping about the physicality of that game. Danny Age coming out now and before I get into Danny Age, I mean, Danny Age, we all remember Danny Age. Anybody and everybody that remembers Danny Age on the basketball court, if you want to talk about a guy who epitomizes whining, Danny Age was that guy. So, I mean, I guess you could say it takes one to know one as Danny Age is saying that LeBron James is, is, is chirping, is whining a little bit. But Danny Age, Danny Age is a guy who is the ultimate whiner. He is the ultimate whiner. Anytime, I mean, anytime you've seen Danny Ainge on the court back in the 80s and the 90s, you see this guy always whining. It does take one to know one, so maybe Danny Ainge knows the whiner when he sees a whiner. Maybe it feels like, you know what, LeBron James is whining. And as Danny, Danny Ainge said, you know what? And these are his quotes. I think it's almost embarrassing that LeBron would complain about officiating. I don't. I think LeBron James has to has to do this. He has to protect himself. He he has to put these things out there so that the officials in the league can can hear this and understand this. That's what he has to do. He has to protect himself on some level. And I think that's what he's doing. So I don't blame LeBron James. I don't think he's whining. In the 80s and 90s, with some of the physical things that happened in that game, would that have been a big deal? No. But this is a different game. It's called, the games are called differently. There were no flagrant fouls back then. There are now. Could you imagine what Rambus where you got clothesline there. Could you imagine what would happen if that happened today? Could you imagine if, if a player was clotheslined the way Kurt Rambis was in those NBA finals many years ago against the Lakers? I mean, against the Celtics, excuse me. Could you imagine the firestorm? The, the, how much... This would be talked about if that happened here in 2013. It's amazing. But Pat Riley came back. He came back yesterday. He came back kind of hard, too. He took off that Amani suit and, and said this. Danny Ainge needs to shut the bleep up and manage his own team. He was the biggest whiner going when he was playing 
And I know that because I coached against him. Riles coached against Danny Ainge many times in those NBA finals. Many, many times. Many, many times. It's crazy. Pat Riley, Danny Ainge, going at it. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio. And we're back. We are back. And let's take a call right now. Let's bring in Ray from Baltimore who wants to talk about the end of the heat streak. What's up, Ray? You're on Go For It. Hey, how you doing? This is Ray calling from Maryland. How are you, man? I'm hanging in there. I was listening to you give your uh, your take on the end of the streak and uh, LeBron. And, uh, you know, I agree that he definitely has to uh, protect himself. I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of hatred towards LeBron. And we all know why, because of the way he departed, you know, Cleveland right. and that. But, I mean, this is, this is old news at this point now. And, you know, I mean, you just – you cannot tackle somebody in the NBA – and have that not be called a flagrant. I mean, he was taken to the ground. Other time, he was basically clothesline. I mean, there were, those guys were not going for the ball. They were not trying to make a play on the ball. You know, they basically were going for his body. And, you know, you try to chop block somebody in the neck or you slam mm-hmm. somebody to the ground like that. I mean, those are flagrant fouls. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't particularly care for LeBron very much, but you don't want to see the game turn into a situation where top teams are going to be taken down but basically just jail ball. I don't feel like they will beat I I wanted to see the streak go forward myself. But, you know, in terms of LeBron James and that Kirk Heinrich situation, I mean, LeBron James is strong. So if you don't do what you got to do in terms of stopping him and going to the basket – I mean, it's Kirk Heinrich against LeBron James. You have to pretty much tackle him in a lot of ways, and I don't think it was all that malicious to Heinrich play. I really didn't. The Gibson foul, I'll give you that. The Heinrich play, I thought Heinrich was trying to stop a guy from getting a short layup. That's LeBron James. That's a locomotive there. Then you take the charge, though. But people keep on saying it wasn't malicious. It's not about what you were thinking. It's about what you did. Now, if you couldn't sit, if you couldn't get your hands up to go for the ball, then you take the charge like a man, like a dude. But you don't do that because you could have injured the guy in a way that could have, you know, just damaged the guy's chances to go forward for the rest of the season. Then you basically damage the league because you know, we don't get to see what this team can actually do with all the pieces in place. You don't want to have that thing come at a risk uh, for the Miami Heat and for the NBA. So you've got to dissuade guys from doing that. You've got a choice. You can step in the way. And eat the charge. You can stand aside, and you can let him make the layup. But one choice you do not have is to tackle him and take him to the floor like that. That's not a choice you have available. We can't have it said 
that if a guy's in a situation where he can't stop the play clean, he's allowed to do whatever he needs to do because of his physical inability to stop the play. He can't have well, that I, happen. Well, you also because, can't because, have a three. He lacks the physical skill and the physical capacity to stop the play. Otherwise, but you can't also have you can't let a guy do. you can't let a guy have a three point play either. I mean, I understand what you're saying about the well, league and the look, he could have took the charge. Take the charge. He, he, he could have took the charge, and, and and that's a fair point. He could have took the charge, but I really didn't have a problem with Kirk Hine, what he did in that particular situation. I, yeah, I really did. didn't have a you problem. Don't have, you don't have a problem because LeBron didn't get hurt, so everybody's like, no harm, no foul. It goes the other way. We're having a different conversation. What I'm saying and, is it, it eventually will go the other way, whether it's for Kobe, LeBron, Wade, or whoever it is, that some lesser-skilled player is unable to stop and now feels like, well, hey, I'm going to do what i got to do. I mean, and that's a fair point. I mean, the reality is if he would have got hurt, I think maybe the, the, the talk would have been a little different. I, I'll give you that, and I think that's a fair point. Appreciate your call, man. All right. I mean, I thought that, that is a fair point, but I, I didn't have a problem with Kirk Heinrich and what he did. And I just think overall we tend to forget that in the 80s and 90s, and again, it's a different era of basketball, and I get that. But – that particular play, it would have just been moved on, and we probably wouldn't be talking about it right now. But let's bring it we're on the line now. We have a guy now who, who, who loves television, loves talking about television, and we're going to talk about the weekend in sports, what's on, what to watch this weekend in the world of sports. Let's bring him in now, Brian Sheriff. Brian, how are you, man? I'm good, Paul. Good to be with you again. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy Easter. Same to you. Same to you. And, and Brian, let's get right down to it. Doug Gottlieb, uh, you know, the, the CBS analyst, in-studio analyst, he was in studio with Greg Gumbel, African-American, Greg Anthony, African-American, Charles Barkley, African-American, Kenny Smith, African-American. And he said these comments, and I quote, cream rising to the Rising to the crop, excuse me, cream rising to the top. I don't know why you guys asked me. I'm just here to bring diversity to the set here. Give the kind of white man's perspective on things from the point guard position. Your thoughts, Brian? Well, I tell you, Paul, you know, this is a TV executive's worst nightmare. Because a couple of things come into question. One, it becomes a crowded set anyway, no matter what color it comes in there. Sure. And uh, you had developed over the last few years very good chemistry between Anthony, Kenny Smith, and Charles Barkley with Greg Gumbel hosting. So the decision to bring in Gottlieb, a relative unknown. Point guard kicked around a little bit in the NBA. Certainly nowhere near a household name. Not at all. Uh, someone that CBS had just recently signed. Very feisty type personality anyway. I mean, you mentioned Ainge a few moments ago. I don't know why I put him in that category. But certainly Gottlieb, if you look at his past, has had his uh, run-ins with certain coaches. And he's a feisty guy. Now, sometimes this works very well in television. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. Hey, he's got a lot of good things about him. Good, good opinion. He comes from a point guard's perspective, but he's a feisty guy. So 
executives sit around in these meetings and say, hey, listen, how do we spice up this show? Well, I'm not sure it needed spicing up, not not this type of spicing up. (laughs) And I'm sure they're going back now and scratching their heads and saying, hey, listen, we bring this guy in here, we got good chemistry going with all these other guys, and this guy comes in and the first thing he feels is inadequate, so he feels he needs to make a, a joke. That would welcome him in. But, hey, guess what? And the normal Greg Cumble, who's normally completely inflammable, was thrown for a complete loop there. Everybody was. Yeah, yeah. Greg, you know, Greg Anthony, everybody. But i tell you something. You know, you watch those shows after that happened Thursday night, and then you watch very carefully the shows that ensue when they come on at halftime in their pregame. And you can cut the tension with a knife. <laughs> And, and, hey, listen, and, and it's one of those things, and I tell you, I can tell you what the executives are doing. They're, they're scratching their heads. They're late. Hey, Barkley came out late Thursday night, as you know, and mm. on his own, I'm sure it was on his own because it, it just felt like it was on his own and not coming from it, uh, someone to tell him to do it. But he backed up Gottlieb by saying, hey, let's, it's over with. It's just a joke. But I tell you what, Paul. Bartley called more attention to it by doing that. Now, what about what about in terms of Gottlieb's apology? Do you think he brought more attention to it by apologizing? Well, that his apology came from the network executives, right? Yeah, and 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 we all know that you know you work in this business. Hey, you know, the, the decision makers walk on pins and needles. You can go back to any kind. You can go back to Howard Cosell calling Alvin Garrett a monkey on there and the, and the scramble that went on. Hey, if you remember, Dick Enberg, who was working with another network at the time, came on and did an apology on his own, which drew a lot of attention to it. So it's, it's very touchy. Hey, you get an apology from ESPN for Brent Musburger making a comment on the Alabama quarterback's wife. So it's very, very, you know. So his apology was generated. He he was told to do that. And that that was written by CBS PR. But, hey, let's get back to the original issue. You can question right now, and this is nothing against Gottlieb personally, but what is he doing on a set with you've established such great chemistry? Right. And, well, could it be that, you know, you talked about he signed a new deal with CBS. He has his own radio show with CBS Radio. Could it be just trying to to get exposure for Doug Gottlieb? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely it is. And there was a perfect place to do it. Put him in the TBS studio with Ernie Johnson and Steve Smith and bring him in that way. What they've done is taken a relative unknown and put him on the desk with superstars. These guys are well-established. Greg Gumbel, right. uh, Barkley, these guys, I mean, you can argue that these guys have done the best studio show ever in television. This Definitely. Week. Maybe second so, to the so, NFL today. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, these guys are way up there. So you have to question the decision to bring a Gottlieb in there. And I'm sure Gottlieb questioned it because you don't come up with that kind of humor unless you feel inadequate. He's trying to fit in. Right. 
right? It's just almost like a guy that's, like you said, I mean, he, he maybe doesn't necessarily belong there, and he's in that particular situation, and because he's in that particular situation, feels like he has to try harder than the next. A perfect example. Uh, you know, all across the country, uh, uh, professors and uh, college instructors are getting this clip of tape, and this will be shown forever, of, of, you know, how you know how you're trying to mix uh, new talent in. Hey, it happens, though. Yeah, you know, chemistry is very, very uh, difficult to achieve, and it doesn't come overnight. Hey, Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley didn't get along at first, I mean, right away. That 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 is developed over time, mm-hmm. and it, it's very. And we're seeing it on a big stage here. But hey, I tell you what, if you sit back and watch, it is still very interesting TV because we'll see how now these guys. We'll see if CBS rides this all the way to the final four. They're going to get the task here. And it's not only Gottlieb's on test. Greg Anthony sits next to him who's on test. Everybody's on test. You know what it's done? What I've noticed in the ensuing show, it sharpened everyone's analysis. Mm -hmm. There doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to be as much kidding that you would expect from a Kenny Smith or Charles Barkley. Now it has everything is on point now. Everything is on point. Because I'll tell you something, Gottlieb, is a very sharp analyst. He's just miscast here. So you believe he's, he's better sharp. suited. So guys, he's better suited for the big, for the B team, basically. Yeah, I think he would have been an excellent B team guy. Let him work his way in there. We did that with Jay Billis back in the mid nineties. Jay Billis, very sharp guy, but you don't replace him. You don't put him in bigger. I don't care what you say about Digger Phelps. You don't replace Digger Phelps with Jay Billis. Because he's younger and better looking, you know. <laughs> and, and, and these are these are the less these are the hard lessons that are learned. I agree. I, I definitely agree. And it, like you said, moving forward, it should be very very interesting. First off, whether or not they stick with Godleaf there, and secondly, the chemistry and how it develops over these next couple of weeks should be very very interesting. And Brian, also going on the women's. NCAA tournament, basketball tournament, and, and of course, we're talking Baylor's Brittany Griner, and I mean, she's dunking left and right. I mean, she, she's big time, and many are saying possibly she is the best women's college player ever, better than Cheryl Miller, better than Cheryl Swoops, better than Lisa Les- Leslie, better than Ann Myers, better than all those names that I, I've just mentioned there. Brittany Griner, Brian, talk about her. Well, you mentioned some great, great players, and you're right. Put her right at the top, Paul. She is, uh, you know, the the uh, you, she's dunked 18 times, and uh, I think there's a, a stat out there where every other college woman added up everybody, and you had Candace Parker a few years ago. Uh, everybody else has dunked a total of 15 times, but I tell you, the women's Sweet 16 continues this weekend on ESPN and ESPN2. And if there's one game you watch, women, it's Louisville at Baylor, Sunday night, 7 o'clock Eastern. And I tell you, Baylor, hey, think about Baylor now with Robert Griffith III. Yeah, And now, yeah, Brittany Griner. But, you know, know, coming out of Texas, you know, know, put put this school on the map. But she is something to watch. Now, listen, her, I mean, they won the championship last year. 
she's come. She's a junior. Had a chance to become the all-time highest-paid rookie in the WNBA. Decided to stay back for her senior year. And what a senior year it's been. First two games in the tournament this year. Baylor. They played Prairie View in round one and doubled them up, 82 to 40. Then they come back in the second round against Florida State and beat them 45 to 47. Now listen to Brittany Griner's. This is two nights ago. This is her stat line at 6'8". 33 points, 22 rebounds, four blocks in 34 minutes. Wow. Wow. She's one to watch this weekend, Paul. If you hey, let, I know you mentioned Louisville Duke. And, and that's going to be a good game, big game. But I tell you what, you're listening. Timo Brittany Griner, tomorrow night, ESPN 2, 7 o'clock Eastern, Louisville, the other Louisville, Cat Baylor. <laughs> so, everybody, so you're saying that I, I, I get what you're saying here. Watch. Duke in Louisville, and then TiVo. Make sure you're TiVoing Brittany Griner and possibly even click over from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking to TV insider Brian Sheriff. And, Brian, baseball gets started, gets underway, and John Cruck now goes to the booth, Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. And I look at Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, John Miller Joe Morgan, and I know last year they made the switch uh, with Shulman, Dan Shulman, and uh, Oral Hershiser, and also Terry Francona. But I, I, I thought the Miller-Morgan thing got a little tired, and I think ESPN kind of did the right thing in making that switch. How do you think Kruk fares now in the booth? Well, I think it'll bring a lot of stability to that, that booth. In the last three years, you've had, Frank, you mentioned Francona, it started with the, when they replaced Miller and Morgan after 21 seasons, Paul, uh, they brought in Shulman and Bobby Valentine and Oral Hershiser, who had actually – Hershiser had worked the final year with Miller and Morgan. So, yeah, and, so Valentine comes in. Francona gets fired. Valentine gets that job. So in the three years that you've had three different analysts sitting there with uh, – yeah, this will be the third. Crook will be the third analyst that will sit with Oral Hershiser. I think this will bring a lot of stability. Crook is very entertaining. He's great television. Yes. He He's is. made his way. We talked about it earlier. He's earned his stripes in the studio over the years. This is not something they're, they're just plucking in there and hoping that it will work. This guy has become an, a real ESPN guy. Uh, baseball fans and ESPN fans will recognize him. Great sense of humor. You can remember when he in his playing days, he was a pretty good player too. Always overweight, always joked about his weight. There was that one All Star game where Randy Johnson in his heyday was pitching for the American League and Crump came up. He's a left handed batter, and there are a lot of left handed batters who wouldn't even get in against Randy Johnson, including in the All Star games. But Crump comes up and he's a pretty good player himself, turns his batting helmet around and stands outside the box and just waves at three pitches and goes back to the dugout. So, I mean, that's the kind of humor, you know. So I think this is a, a really good move on ESPN's part. Uh, and it is, as we said, 
it brings stability to that Sunday night booth. Definitely, definitely. And you, we talked about Kruk coming in. We're talking about another guy going out, Tim McCarver, the great Tim McCarver. I mean, a big-time broadcaster over the year. I know a lot of people, when talking about McCarver, I know they say he goes on and on and on with some of his stories. But I've always been a fan of Tim McCarver. I think he's been a very great analyst over the year. But he's calling it quits. This is his final year with Fox Baseball. Talk about Tim McCarver. Well, yeah, you know, put, in my opinion, put Tim McCarver right up in the top four or five analysts in any sport. He's in, you know, I don't know if he's in Madden, John Madden's class, but certainly Tim McCarver. I mean, I, UB Brown in basketball. Yeah. Uh, he has really had a great career. He's been at it. Right, he's in, one of these guys that walked right off the field, right into the, the booth, and with a natural could really break down a game and make you feel uh, a, a, a casual fan. The ability to bring a casual fan into the game without being condescending, mm-hmm. and also the ability to talk to the hardcore fan in terms of strategy and what players are thinking. Very wasn't never was the type of analyst that would rely on criticism of players. But all but always his analysis would be about the game and the love for the game. And his love for the game, I think over the years, really came through. Definitely. He started locally, you know, with the Phillies and moved up to, you know, ABC. I thought McCarver and Al Michaels, when they worked together at ABC in the last years of the ABC deal with Major League Baseball. I thought it was some of the best analysis ever in baseball. I put him right yeah, up. He's done a great I'm, job. He works with – go ahead. I'm a fan of him, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. I didn't mean to – I just say, you know, and then he – you know, he actually worked with Jack Buck, Joe Buck's father. So he's been at it a very long time. So wish him the best. He's called it uh, after, you know, a long, long time. Uh, this will be his final season. So he gets a chance to really have a good time this year. And, you know, as Fox has done this new deal, uh, they've cut back on their network games. But uh, only wish Tim McCarver the best. Definitely. Brian, you are very active on Twitter. Where can fans connect with the sheriff, Brian Sheriff, on Twitter? Yeah, thanks, Paul. It's Brian. It's at Brian Sheriff, and that's B-R-I-A-N-S-H-E-R-R-I-F-F-E. At Brian Sheriff. Always good fans. to be with you, Paul. Good to be with you, Brian. Fans, go to there. Check out Brian Sheriff on Twitter. Brian, you're also on YouTube. you got your own YouTube channel as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's Brian Sheriff. I shot the Sheriff on YouTube. And uh, what we're doing, uh, we take a few segments of your great show here, Paul. We put it up on YouTube. We push it out during the week. And uh, fans can enjoy uh not only the conversation that you and I had, but we spiced it up a little bit, put a little visual aid in there. So we'll have some fun this week. That's for sure. Definitely. Brian, pleasure, man. Happy Easter. Enjoy your holiday. Talk to you soon, Paul. Brian Sheriff, our TV insider, telling us what to watch this weekend, giving us the lowdown on the world of sports television. We're a little late with this. But the second hour of Go For It starts right now.
second hour of Go For It, hot and ready to go. In the south, we're expected to be joined by Eastern Kentucky wide receiver, NFL draft pass prospect Tyrone Gore. Tyrone is moving up the draft boards around the NFL. I mean, a lot of people are talking about Tyrone. He had his pro day the other day. It seemed to be a success, and everybody is talking about Tyrone Gordon and what he can bring to the NFL. We're going to talk to him in this hour. I want to switch gears now to the NFL, and I want to talk about Tony Romo. Well, Tony Romo got paid. We all knew that Joe Flacco was going to get paid. We all knew that he was going to get his money, big-time money. Tony Romo, Tony Romo, yes. One playoff victory, Tony Romo. That Tony Romo, yes. The Tony Romo that seems to throw interceptions at the wrong time, yes. The Tony Romo in the last two seasons with his team, with his team having an opportunity to get to the playoffs and win the NFC East, fell short against the Giants and fell short against the Washington Redskins. Well, I guess that still gets you paid. And the numbers, I mean, Tony Romo, statistically speaking, the numbers are impressive and the numbers speak for themselves. They speak for themselves. But the guarantees here, I mean, you're talking about $55 million in guarantees for Tony Romo, six years, $108 million deal. $55 million, which is guaranteed, that's more than Super Bowl winning quarterback Joe Flacco. That's more than Joe Flacco. And I know, you know, the, the reason the Cowboys did this deal was in terms of the cap number. He had a high, he was going to have a high cap number this season. So the Cowboys, uh, trying to get cap savings and clear a little cap space, did this deal with Tony Romo. Cowboys had to do it in terms of trying to get some more wiggle room with the salary cap. But in terms of, you know, obviously on the surface, Tony Romo getting this kind of money after some of the things he's done in a year. I mean, statistically speaking, Tony Romo puts up numbers. The numbers are impressive for Romo. They, they truly are. And I know a lot of people are going to say, you know what, I mean, last year 28 touchdowns, 19 picks, interceptions are a little high, had to bring that down. And obviously, just doing and making plays at the right time and, and not making bad plays at the wrong time. I mean, Last year against the Redskins threw that interception to Rob Jackson there late in that game, and ultimately the Cowboys lost that one. And, you know, just not coming up big at big moments, at big times. Not coming up with big plays. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And, you know, Jerry Jones, his statement was, and these are his quotes, in today's game, every NFL franchise understands the importance of production and continuity at the quarterback position. And historically, few franchises have enjoyed those benefits more than the Dallas Cowboys. We are confident in this investment and commitment. Well, I mean, the Cowboys are able to save $5 million on the cap this year. They're able to save $5 million on the cap. And the thing about it is, you know, cap space is very important in the NFL. Getting Cap space is important. The Cowboys were able to get more cap space by giving Tony Romo this deal. Again, again, 
on the surface, you look at this deal and you're saying, I mean, I guess this was the, 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 the moment that maybe you, you had to make a decision whether to stay with Tony Romo or to move on from Tony Romo. And the Cowboys, you know, in a lot of ways have decided that, you know, let's stick with Tony Romo. Let's stick with Tony Romo. And let's, you know, do this deal and give us some a little cap savings this season. $100 million doesn't necessarily get what it used to get. I mean, it just doesn't get what it used to get nowadays. I mean, Tony Romo, numbers-wise, is impressive. Numbers-wise, his numbers, in a lot of ways, aren't they're, they're very impressive. Very impressive. Very impressive. It's just, he just does some bad things at some bad times. We've seen numerous occasions where Tony Romo has done bad things at bad times. Can the Cowboys, bottom line is this, can the Cowboys win a Super Bowl with Tony Romo as their quarterback? That is a question that at this point you have to say no, but, you know, there was questions about Joe Flacco and whether the Ravens can win a championship with Joe Flacco as their quarterback. Well, he proved a lot of people wrong. He proved a lot of people wrong by what he did in these in this playoff. I mean, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions, a big-time playoff run for the Ravens. And a, and a playoff run that was totally unexpected. Maybe the Cowboys and Tony Romo can do the same. Maybe the Cowboys and Tony Romo can do the same. Bottom line is they get a cap savings. And that, that was important. That was one of the – obviously one of the reasons they've done this is the, what they can do in terms of the cap and freeing up money for the cap, freeing up extra money. But, again, you were involved in essentially two NFC championship games, NFC East championship games, two NFC East championship games the past two seasons, both on the road. First year, two years ago against the Giants, you go in there, not your best performance. Your defense didn't really play too well. But last year against the Redskins, you were intercepted three times in that game. In the NFC's championship game, as I call it. It's the NFC's championship game. It's a situation win or move on, lose, and go home. You had an opportunity on two occasions, the past two seasons, the past two seasons to get your team to the playoffs and win the NFC East. And you have came up very small. You came up small in the, on those two occasions. I mean, you came up really small. I know your your numbers are impressive, and they are, and they are. But I just think that you look at this whole situation, Romo. I know the money, and we we look at the money, and the money is big. It's definitely big. Fifty-five million dollars guaranteed money. Fifty-five million dollars guaranteed money. But you look at it now, this is an opportunity for Romo to, in a lot of ways, prove himself. He has an opportunity to prove himself. He has this opportunity to now, you know what, the Cowboys have made the commitment to him. The Cowboys have made the commitment to Tony Romo. Now that he has the commitment, now that he has the commitment, it is up to him now to prove Everybody wrong to prove that, you know what, I'm better 
than a 17 and 21 as a starter since 2010. I'm better than that. I'm better than one and six on winner go home games. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I'm better than all those things. I'm better than three interceptions against the Washington Redskins. Last game of the season, winner go home type of situation. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. This is an opportunity to prove that. This is an opportunity to prove that. The Cowboys have made the investment now into Tony Romo, and they, you know, Romo's essentially probably going to be a Cowboy for the rest of his career. He's probably going to be a Cowboy for the rest of the year. 32 years old now, Tony Romo. 11 years in this league. This is his opportunity now. His opportunity now to prove himself. To show the world that he is an elite quarterback. To show the world that he is worth $55 million in guaranteed money. Show the world that he is worth that. I mean, the numbers, you know, big-time numbers over these past few years. 2009, 26 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, 97.6 QB rating. 2010, he had some injuries. 2011, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 102 quarterback rating. Last season, not bad either, 28 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. Again, those interceptions are a little high. But again, 90 Point five QB rate. The numbers are not bad. The numbers are fairly impressive over the last few years for Tony Romo. It's just when you're one and six and win or go home games, that's not good. When you're one and six and win or go home games, that's not good. When you're 17 and 21 as a starter since 2010, that's not good. That's not good. But at this point, he has the commitment of ownership. He has the commitment of the team. So it's up to him now to to basically determine his future and determine his legacy as a quarterback. We'll, we shall see what happens with Tony Romo. Moving forward, Troy Palomalo came out and was talking about some of the rule changes in the NFL. And he said, you know what, he feels like players should have uh, uh, some kind of say in terms of rule changes. And here are his quotes, quote, there's rule changes every year. I do wish, however, that the NFL did have a voice from the player side, whether it's our players' union, president, or team captains, or executive committee on the player side, because we're the guys that realize the risks. We're the guys on the field, and I think that's a fair point from Troy Palomaro. I think they should have some say. They definitely, we we definitely need to get the voice of the players. I guess theoretically, the ownership would, in some respect, be the voice of the player on some level because they are representing the team. But, but, you know, football is football. 
Football is football. It's football is football. And as Troy Palomalo said, football is a very physical sport. And a lot of what separates the good from the great is the ability to receive contact, to give contact, to overcome the mental block of injuries when you have contact. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to what he says. It's the guys that are, are, are willing to receive the contract, contact, I should say, and, and willing not only to receive it, but are able to accept it and able to, to bounce off of it or, or get up from it. That is what separates people, players. That's what separates players. The ability, the ability to get up from big injuries, to get up from big hits, big collisions. That's what makes and separates players. That's what separates players. That separates the good from the great, and I think that's a great point by Troy Palomalo. But I also believe, yes, the players should have some type of say in terms of the rule changes. They need to have some some type of say. Need to. They need to have some type of say. I would agree with that. I really would. Moving to baseball now. A lot of players got paid. We got Romo in football who got paid, but Justin Verlander, he got paid yesterday. Record deal, nine years, $108 million. Could be worth as much as $202 million. What a country we live in. But Justin Verlander, eligible to become a free agent in 2014. Justin Verlander was dominant. Last season, he was dominant last season for the Detroit Tigers. He, the Tigers rode Justin Verlander into the playoffs and into the World Series. He was big. He was money for the Detroit Tigers, absolutely money last season for the Tigers. And he got paid. Got paid nine years, eight years. Could be $202 million when it's all said and done. It's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Justin Verlander just got paid. He just got paid. He's big time. He is big time. 30 years old. You wonder how good he's going to be near the end of that deal. You wonder how good he's going to be near the end of that deal. Going to be 38, possibly 39 when that deal concludes. 39 years old. And, you know, you always are a little nervous to get pitchers this type of money. You get a little nervous when you get pitchers this type of money because anything can happen. Anything can happen. One pitch, one arm angle the wrong way. You just, anything can happen. So, for you know, you always get nervous when you give a, a player that kind of money, especially a pitcher, more so a pitcher, giving him that type of money. What is he going to look like near the end of this deal? Probably not going to be the same player. But the market is what the market is, and the market bears what the market bears. And, you know, you play the game and you, you try to get paid and try to get as much as you can while you can get it. So I never hate on a guy for getting, for getting big-time money. you got to do what you got to do. Yesterday also, Buster Posey, he got paid. Nine-year deal. With the San Francisco Giants, $167 million. 
$167 million could be worth as much as $186 million when it's all said and done. I mean, Buster Posey has pretty much been the face of the franchise for the, the San Francisco Giants over the past couple of years. Been the face of the franchise. He's been big time. He's been big time for the San Francisco Giants. The Giants, what, two World Series championships over the last three years? Buster Posey is one of the reasons why. And the year that they lost, they didn't get the championship. That was the year he was hurt. But again, just like he's 26 years old, so he's got a lot of baseball left. Verlander was 30. Posey's 26. But again, you know, the catcher. And the catcher is a very physically demanding position. A very physical, physically demanding pitcher. Position, I should say. Very much so. Very much so. But again, and this is a guy, you know, we remember 2011. That big collision there at the plate, tore three ligaments there. Messed up with three ligaments in his ankle. He messed up there and broke a bone in his lower leg. I mean, it was that was a tough collision there. That was a big-time collision there. But you look at just uh, Buster Posey. He is the face of the franchise. He is an MVP. He's big time. He's big time. And I think about it now. He's going to get paid like he's big time. Nine years $167 million. It's a lot of money. Nine years, $167 million. And the thing about Buster Posey and, and, and the New, uh, San Francisco Giants, I mean, this is a team in some respects that's come out, come out of nowhere when they won these titles. I mean, no one expect what? The first time they won, they got past the Philadelphia Phillies. No one expected them to get past the Philadelphia Phillies. No one. No one expected them to get past the Phillies. And everybody questioned whether this team had the lineup to get past certain teams. But they've done it. They've been a clutch team over these past. I mean, you have to be a clutch team to win two titles in the last three years. You have to be. You have to be clutch. You have to be big time to do what these, this team has done over the last Three years. They've been big time. Absolutely big time. But Buster Posey gets paid. He's getting paid. So a lot of people got paid yesterday. Romo, Posey, Verlander, all got paid yesterday. And it was Friday, so it's very fitting that those three got paid on Friday. Just got paid Friday night. So it's fitting. It's fitting that it was on Friday that those three guys got paid. And, you know, I guess a cautionary tale on why, you know, a lot of people question, and it's hard to question Verlander in the years he's had over the past couple of years. I mean, the 24 wins in 2011, 17, and 2012, it's hard to question him getting paid, but you look at, you know, cautionary tale maybe, uh, well, Barry Zito, his contract, all the money he got, and he finally started to live up to that contract maybe a little bit last season, maybe a little bit last season where he was much better 
last season finally. I mean, it took a long time, but Johan Santana will miss. I mean, he missed the 2011 season, and he retore that shoulder with the, the torn shoulder, interior capsule in the shoulder, his pitching shoulder, tore that in 2011, retoured this year. He's done. He is done. He won't be pitching this year. He will not be pitching. And a lot of people have questioned whether or not, you know, that no-hitter he had where he threw 134 pitches. After that no-hitter, the ERA was bloated 8.27. After that, 10 starts after the no-hitter, 8.27 ERA. 8.27 ERA, and many are saying that's what caused Johan Santana not to ever be the same. That was the reason. That was the reason that Johan Santana has never been the same. 34 years old. 34 years old. Missed 2011. Pitched in 2012. And now he's going to miss 2013. Not a good situation for Johan Santana. Not at all. But that's a cautionary tale in some respect in terms of paying pitchers. Because anything, things like that, it's unnatural to throw the ball like that. It's just unnatural. It's unnatural. It's an unnatural situation, pitching. It's unnatural. And the thing about it, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And you look at baseball now and you know you look at I, I look at the NL East and I look at the AL East and how it's kind of been turned upside down it's been turned upside down the AL East and the um, NL East you know over the years when, when you talk NL East you talk Phillies you talk Phillies and of course you talk Braves as well but mostly Phillies these past few years AL East, you talk Yankees and Red Sox. That's what you talk. Last year, the Red Sox were in the cellar, and the Phillies finished 500, 81 and 81. This year, we look at these two teams. We look at the Phillies. You know, Phillies an older team. A lot of questions with the Phillies. Roy Holiday getting beat up and shelled. During spring training this season, he has not been impressive this season, this uh, spring training. Has not been at all. A lot of his velocity is down. A lot of questions about Roy Holiday. A lot of people are questioning and, and, and wondering, is Roy Holiday done? Is he done? And there's always a possibility that he could be done. Obviously, he's not going to be the same pitcher. He's not the same pitcher that he once was. He's, but he's getting paid like a number one starter. $20 million for Roy Holiday this season. So the Phillies are going to keep pushing him out there. They're going to do whatever they got to do to get him right. And they're going to need him to be right. A lot of question marks in Philly. A lot of question marks. Catching situation, Chooch Ruiz. He's going to be out for some 25, what, 25 games um, because of his situation, taking the Adderall. 
So he's going to be out for violating the substance policy, substance abuse policy, and MLB. You know, so he's going to be out 25 games. You're going to miss him. Definitely going to miss him. If you're the Phillies, question marks in the outfield. Maybe Dominic Brown is ready to to step up and become the player that we all thought he could be. Maybe. Maybe. Chase Utley, who's had a pretty good spring, but he's coming off injury. Ryan Howard, we'll see if he's better. You know, suffered last year from that Achilles, struggled throughout last season, came back late in the season, and wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. Seems to be swinging a little better this year. Jimmy Rollins, can he get off to a better start than he did a year ago? Got off to a slow start, but finished very strong for the Phillies last season. Can he do that this season? Can he start strong for the Phillies? This season, it's going to be interesting with the Washington Nationals. They're a team that a lot of people believe are they are the favorite in the NL East. And the, Bra- the Braves, I mean, the Braves did a lot in this off season. They did a lot in this off season. Got the Upton brothers in the outfield there. Of course, to go along with Jason Hayward, I mean, that outfield is pretty potent. That's a pretty potent outfield there for the Atlanta Braves. So you have to argue they're better this season. They're a better team this season. So the NL East has been turned, the AL East has been turned upside down. AL East, Yankees, you know, the injuries that they have, a lot of injuries for the Yankees. We'll see if they will be right this season. We'll see. We shall see. You're listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio. Okay. Hey, what up? It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G and Jeremy. And we're back. We are back. In a moment now, we're going to bring in a guy now who is preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. Get, his stock is rising. A lot of people are talking about this man right now. Small school guy, Eastern Kentucky. But guess what? Small school, but know what? He's showing a lot of people that he can ball. He's showing a lot of people that, you know what? I may come from a small school, but I get it done. And I've got it done in, on the small at that small school, and I can get it done on the NFL level. Let's bring him in now. East former Eastern Kentucky wide receiver, the one, the only, Tyrone Gord. Tyrone, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Tyrone, you had your pro day last week. A number of teams came out. I hear, hear about 15 teams came out to see you. How do you think you did? Um, honestly, I think I did real well. Um, went out there, showed them that hey, I can catch the ball, I can run the routes, and you know I can get the job done. Um, and they they enjoyed it. So I mean, I and all in all, I did good. So you felt like you 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 went out there and you performed at, at your highest level. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Of course. And at that comp at your pro day, were you able also to sit down with some teams? Um, I sat down with the um. The guy from the Forty Niners. Um, okay. We talked. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, just things that's been going on in 
how's things like as far as training's been going and you know little things like that and then uh talked to the Patriots a little the guy from the Patriots a little bit um before I was leaving and uh he just told me just just you know stay humble keep training and their guys will you know keep in touch with me so all in all it's pretty good right now and and what have you done you talked about the training what have you done training wise to get yourself in this position and, and prepare for this draft um honestly um day in day out when I was training for the combine I was you know training six days a week um my body's a little tired, so I cut back to just, you know, three days a week. But, I mean, I, I go hard. I, I train, I lift, and I run, you know, daily um, and just try to, you know, stay in shape and, if not, get even better as the day goes on. Now, you were one of the few small school, small school players, excuse me, to be invited to the NFL Combine. How do you think you fared at the Combine? Um, I think, you know, um, in all my events, I placed top ten. Um, so that that was an accomplishment, you know, going up against, you know, some of the top players in America, you know, on one field. So, I mean, being top ten, just about everything I did was was an accomplishment for me coming from a smaller school. Um, but at the same time, you know, I didn't catch the ball as good as I, you know, should have. But at the same time, like you said, came to pro day, you know, things were different. Came here, caught the ball, and, you know, scouts really enjoyed it just because, you know, they know I can catch, they know I can play. So I did what I had to do. Now, I've, heard, I've talked to a lot of guys also preparing for the NFL draft, and one thing that they say about their pro day, they feel less pressure, they feel more comfortable at their pro day than they did at any of the combines. Was that the case for you? Um, to be honest, I felt more comfortable with my quarterback throwing to me. Um, I felt right. like I was at home. You know, I was, you know, more relaxed than I was. Um, the stage wasn't, you know, as hyped as it, it was, you know, set out to be, but at the same time, like like everybody else, I was more comfortable and relaxed in my field with my quarterback, with my teammates watching, you know, cheering me on, just, you know, being out there. Yes, sir. Now, Tyrone, I mean, I, I like to ask a lot of the small school guys this question. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're at the combine, you're at your pro day, and because you're from a small school, you have to almost be perfect. Did you feel any added pressure because of that? Um, Honestly, not really, um, because – I mean, if you can play, you can play. If scouts, you know, come watch you and know you can play, then they know you can play. If not, then if I mean, if you can't, you can't. But um, far as the pressure, I mean, I, I came a long way, you know, and they wouldn't be recognizing me if I wasn't doing something good. So um, at the same time, I just, you know, just stay positive and just know I'm blessed. So hopefully, you know, things will just fall into the right place as they go on. We're talking to former Eastern Kentucky wide receiver Tyrone Gord as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. And, Tyrone, you made a lot of big plays throughout the course of your college career. You okay. averaged 22 yards per catch this season with eight big touchdowns. Talk mm-hmm. about the big playability of Tyrone Gord. Um, a lot of teams was uh, scared of my deep threat abilities because, you know, stride for stride, guys couldn't keep up. And uh, a lot of guys didn't press me either. But, you know, just being a downfield threat and teams taking – or we taking shots downfield – which just open up things underneath. So, you know, um, it was either teams were going to double me or they was going to, you know, play somebody else. And um, a lot of times one-on-one to us is one-on-none. So that's how we looked at it. So we just took advantage of it, you know. And do you take that one-on-one kind of personally? Um, Really, it's, it's, it's a – yeah, it, it's a personal thing just for the simple fact. One guy think he can stop you? No, nah, it, it can't happen like that. Make them bring two <laughs> or make them bring three guys. So like I right. said, at, at EKU, when it's one on one, we 
say it's one-on-one because you should not get stopped by one guy, and that's how we feel as receivers here. Now, Tyrone, I've been reading about you, and, and some of the things I've heard about you, some are saying, you know what, he is a lean guy. So some are questioning in terms your strength in terms of getting off jams at the line of scrimmage. How do you respond to that? Um, thing is, is, this past year I was jammed one time and then okay. teams backed off. I don't have a problem with being jammed and getting off the ball. I'm, you know, I'm physical for my size. I'm not as small as people make me out to be. I might be skinny, but I'm not weak. So, I mean, okay. people people can say what they want, but, I mean, if they haven't actually watched me get jammed, you know, in person, then they, they're just going to say, you know, whatever they want. So, it's cool. Now, are you are you looking to add more muscle to your frame at this point? Um, right now, I'm weighing in at you know the two hundred five, two hundred seven range, and uh, okay. I would like to I would like to get to the two ten, you know, two twelve range. If not, I'm cool where I'm at. I'm comfortable with my weight, and I, I feel more explosive, more powerful at the weight that I am now. So right. just getting bigger would just you know help out just a little that much more, you know. So, certain. Now, what do you feel like? What do you feel like you need to work on? And what do you feel like you need to get better on on the next level? Um, for receiver, everybody you know can work on their hands. No one has perfect hands, so most definitely my hands. And you know, getting in and out of my routes a little bit better because I'm a tall guy, and getting in and out of routes aren't easy for me, just because you know I'm I'm so high, you know. But um, right. that, that's basically it. Just getting in and out of my routes, and you know, working on my catching a lot more. Now, we've seen a lot of small school wideouts who've had a lot of success on the next level, Donald Driver, Pierre Garçon, and, of course, the GOAT, Jerry Rice. Have you used those guys as motivation for you? Um, to be honest, my motivation is honestly just um, just basically, you right, those guys coming from, like, smaller schools because um, People look over the smaller school guys, expect them, you know, if they're not perfect, like you said before, if they're not perfect, then, you know, they might get looked over. So just knowing they came from smaller schools and then me coming from a smaller school to let me know, hey, I got work to do. I can also, you know, be on the top, improve just like the other guys did. I can be just as good or if not better. We're talking to former Eastern Kentucky wide receiver Tyrone Gord as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. Now, Tyrone, on this show, we like to play a game called Getting to Know You. I want to ask a few questions so the fans can get to know Tyrone Gord. You ready to play? Yes, sir. What's your favorite cereal? My favorite cereal is uh, Fruity Pebbles. I can eat a whole box, like, right there. Are, are you laying Are you laying off the Fruity Pebbles right now as you prepare for the draft? Yeah, I'm actually eating real food, like eggs and bacon, you know, trying to, the fruits and all that stuff, trying to, you okay. know, stay on my healthy side. Now, if you were a marker, what color would you be? I'd be purple. Purple? Okay, why? Because no one used purple markers. <laughs> so I would, I would have all I would have all my coloring in my marker. So you would stand out. I would stand out. I would still be there. I would still be alive. <laughs> the last movie that you saw. The last movie that I saw was a yes. haunted house. A haunted house okay. with Marlon Wayans, I think it was Wayans. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that was a crazy one. Yeah, it was. It was really hilarious. I liked it. Now, final question: If okay. you were another person, would you be friends with you? If I was another person, yeah, I would be best friends with me. Why? I would be coming to, <laughs> to me for any advice that that is needed because I'm the type of person. 
You know, if you need advice, if you need money, if you need anything, you come to me. I'd rather for you to, you know, come to me and ask me instead of going somewhere stealing or going somewhere making a bad decision. So okay. definitely okay. come to me. Well, Tyler, I need twenty dollars. Uh, I mean, give me an address. I got you. <laughs> okay, I appreciate. It. I don't want. I don't want to get locked up or anything. I need twenty dollars. <laughs> my just sent me some money today too, so I'm, I got you. I appreciate that. Appreciate no that. <laughs> now, Tyrone, why okay. should an NFL team draft you? Why? I mean, if they want to win, that'll be a good idea. Because I'm a guy that packs, you know, speed, catching, jumping ability, everything you want in a receiver. And I mean, I'm I'm that receiver that's going to communicate with the quarterback, offense coordinator, and the rest of my team of what's going on, and just keep everybody in line. <laughs> I'm and, to win. Tyrone, I was I was. Trolling around YouTube, looking at highlights of you, and I saw that that catch where you were on your back and and the ball just stayed on your stomach. Take us through that play. Um, it was kind of a weird play. I knew they were gonna throw me a fade ball just because that's what we do when we're in the red zone. And uh, I went up. The guy knew it was coming, so he stuck his hand in my face mask and just threw me down to the ground before the ball was even in the air. Cause, I mean, he obviously knew what was going on, and uh, fell on the ground and just threw up my hands. And the ball actually hit my wrist and fell wow. on my stomach. And uh, picked up the ball off my stomach and, you know, started celebrating. Everybody like, why are you celebrating? What, what are you doing? I'm like, I just scored. They was like, no, you just got a pass in front call. And I was like, the ball never hit the ground. I just scored. Why aren't you celebrating? So, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was kind of crazy. Um, went to the dorm that night, watched ESPN, seen like seven one-handed catches at number two spots. I'm just kind of like, man, I know I'm not on top ten plays. If, you know, they're throwing in the catches because those are some nice catches. And, you know, finally I see my quarterback dropping back, and I was like, yeah, this is it. And, you know, I'm just <laughs> really, really excited, really excited about it. It's crazy. Definitely, I can imagine. Now, Tyrone, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with Tyrone Gord on Twitter? Um, it's Tyrone underscore Gord, G-O-A-R-D, and the number eight at Twitter. Fans, connect with this guy on Twitter, at Tyrone underscore Gord 8. Now, Tyrone, was there a player or a player that you, you kind of emulated growing up or you kind of emulate now in terms of your game? Um, Probably the old Randy Moss. Um, Randy, okay. Me and Randy Moss is from basically the same time. He's like 10 minutes from down the road for me. He's from Rand. Okay. I'm from Charleston, so it's like 10 minutes. And uh, just the old Randy Moss, when, you know, he used to just do crazy things for no reason on the football field, you know. So I would say I was more more like him. Okay. Anything. So over the years, you have mossed a few guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, why, that's why we take deep breaths all the time on the field. Because, hey, he knew what I can do. He knew my abilities. Tyrone, it's a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing oh, but you. the best of luck with the upcoming NFL draft. Let's do it again. Yes, sir. Thank you. Take care. Tyrone Gord former Eastern Kentucky wide receiver as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. And the NFL draft is right around the corner. And, you know, Tyrone is, is moving up the charts. He's, he's moving up the charts, and we'll see where he goes. We'll see where he goes, and we'll see what he can do on the next level. Pleasure talking to Tyrone Gord. Good times. Good guy as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. And, Speaking of upcoming, the baseball season is upcoming. And, again, a lot of storylines coming in to this season, a lot of interesting storylines. The Yankees 
all the injuries. Derek Jeter's probably going to start the season on DL on the DL. Um, so I mean that's going to be interesting. And, and in a lot of ways, the Yankees. I mean, you know, Rivera retiring, Mariano Rivera, and we're seeing kind of the last links to those to that Yankee dynasty in the, in the late '90s, early 2000s. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it. Derek Jeter will start the, uh, the season on the disabled list. And, again, Mariano Rivera, his final season. We, we've kind of seen the, the last of, of the Yankees in a lot of ways, Those the glory Yankees, the, the Yankees of, of those, early, those late 90s, I should say, early 2000s. I mean, the exciting Yankees. We enjoyed those Yankees. And, and you know, well, not necessarily me because I was a Phillies fan growing up, but, you know, you got to enjoy greatness. And Derek Jeter has been great. Mariano Rivera has been great. You say you enjoy greatness. You have to appreciate greatness. Great, greatness needs to be appreciated. Definitely need to appreciate greatness. And Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera have been great. Crazy. But those guys eventually at some point, you know, you can't. Hang on forever. Mariano Rivera was around forever. You can't be here forever. An interesting thing as we go into this uh, baseball season, Alex Rodriguez now, whose salary is $29 million, $29 million, and he may not even play this year, $29 million. His salary is more than the whole Houston Astros team combined. His salary is more than the whole Houston Astros team combined. Combined. Wow. Wow. And A-Rod could be done. He may not play again. That's amazing. That's an amazing, amazing stat. But again, you know, payrolls are payrolls, and payrolls don't always win championships. Just doesn't. Just doesn't. And, you know, Houston's going to be a bad baseball team this year. They just are. I mean, with that kind of payroll, $29 million payroll, I don't know how you can be any better. $29 million payroll. $29 million payroll. And they're going to, you know, the roster is not the who's who's in the sport of baseball. You know, there's a lot of young guys. They're rebuilding. They are rebuilding. And the thing about it is, and rebuilding is not always pretty. Got a young, a lot of young talent, young guys. I don't want to say talented guys. You got a young guy, a lot of young guys on their team. The highest paid guy on their team making $7.2 million, $7.25 million is Carlos Pena. He is the highest paid player on the Houston Astros. 20 at, at $7.25 million. You look around, the other salaries, you're seeing a lot of 480000 530000 seeing a lot of that. And, you know, that's not, you know, I guess in, to, you know, average shows like you and most of us, that's not bad money. Not bad money at all. Not bad money at all. But, again, it's a lot of money. For average Joe, but in terms of a, a major league baseball player, not always a lot of money. It's not a lot of money in terms of a major league baseball player, especially when Alex Rodriguez 
and Alex Rodriguez is one of the better players in the game, was one of the better players in the game, $29 million. Wow. This is an interesting stat as we go into the baseball season. Should be a very great baseball season. Very great. I'm looking forward to it. And I, you know, I'm a Phillies fan, and I, I'm looking forward to my Phillies. And, yes, I have a lot of question marks on my Phillies, but who, we'll, we'll see. I saw a team that when, when Howard and Utley came back, they were a much better baseball team. They played some great baseball when those two boys came back. So we'll see how they do the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Phillies and how they start off. Can they get off to that good start? And I think the Yankees are going to be like the Phillies from last season. I think the Yankees are going to be like the Phillies of last season, a team that injuries, because of injuries, are going to get off to a bad start. They're going to get off to a bad start. And if, when that happens, and if that happens, the Yankees, I don't think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs this year. I really don't. Just have too many injuries. Granderson out for a while to share out. You know, Jeter starting the season on the DL. Alex Rodriguez, and Alex Rodriguez wasn't nothing special last season, but he's on the DL as well. So I think the Yankees are going to struggle. And again, they're going to be like the Phillies of 2012, where the Phillies got off to a slow start. Finished strong, but the start was just too bad. The start was just not good enough. You had the Nationals, their division, who played well, and the Braves as well, who played well. So I think the Yankees are going to struggle. The Blue Jays, you know, adding the R.A. Dickey, adding the Jose Reyes, you think they're going to be probably better. The Orioles, you know, they're going to be as good as they were a year ago, if not better. So it's going to be tough for the Yankees, especially with all these injuries. If they can keep it going, if they can hold the fort and stay close, they have a shot. But it's going to be very, very difficult for the Yankees in 2013. I don't think they make the playoffs. I think the Yankees, I mean, they did add Vernon Wells, but how much left does he have? How much left does Vernon Wells really have? So we'll see. We shall see how it all transpires for the Yankees. This season, but I think they're going to struggle. I think they're going to struggle. And I think they're going to be like the Phillies of 2012, where they get off to a slow start. And that slow start, it's going to what? It's what's going to really hurt this team in 2013. But we shall see. Interesting story coming out of uh, the NFL. Uh, Mike Freeman, CBSSportsLine.com, said that and, and wrote a story about uh, the possibility of a homosexual athlete coming out, an active NFL player coming out as uh, as homosexual in the NFL, an active player coming out. And, and we all know that a lot of these guys tend to come out after their career is over. You've got Ezra Tuiatola, who, who uh, you know, he – came out three years after his career, and they've got a few other guys who've come out now, but after their career. No one has come out during their career. And according to Mike Freeman, there is somebody, an NFL player, who is who wants to come out and is thinking about coming out. Is the client, I think you look at it, and I don't think anybody, well, you look at that whole situation. As far as I'm concerned, if you know, we, we've—I'm sure most of us have worked with with homosexuals in the workplace. The reality is, if they can, if they work well, if they do their job, 
what they do is what they do. And I think bottom line is this, and I know the NFL, we, we got a lot of mochismo. We got a lot of, you know, a lot of people being macho, a lot of tough guys. You know, got a lot of tough guys in the NFL, and a lot of people, you know, that, that you know that that's a sign of weakness in some respect to to some people. So I, you know, we we look at that, and will it ever happen? Will it ever happen? I think it's going to happen at some point. I think an athlete will come out during their career as gay. I think it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen in the next few years, but it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. And the way I look at it is this, and the way I've always looked at it, if you can ball, you can ball. What you do is what you do. If you can play, you can play. If you can get it done, you can get it done. That's the bottom line. Point blank, period. If you you can get it done on the field, that's all that matters to me. That's all that matters. What you do is what you do. It's your life. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. If that's how you live your life, that's how you live your life. But the bottom line is this, and, and I, if you can ball, you can ball. And I know a lot of people were saying that, you know what, that the, the, the climate is right for this to happen. The climate is right for this to happen. And we'll see. If it does happen, we'll see if it does happen. I I think people are more accepting of it at this point than they've ever been. And I think the NFL locker room, you know, know, NFL locker rooms mirror society in a lot of ways. And the workplace mirrors society. And so we'll see. We'll see. If someone comes out, I know you had a uh, Chris Culver who made his comments during the Super Bowl, and you know how much attention that got. He did apologize and later has met with uh, gay and uh, lesbian support groups along the way. But you know, the climate is right. The climate is right. But will someone take that step? Will someone take that step? Will someone be willing to take the step and to come out while they're actively playing? That's going to be something that's going to be interesting. That's going to be something that should be very interesting to see. Who has, you know, I mean, in some respect, it's going to take some kind of guts to do it. Who's willing to fight that fight in some respect? And you're wondering, does it almost have to be an established player? A, a, a player who who was established in the league, a player who has you know some kind of stability, because if it's a fringe player, then because of that, you know that that fringe player in a lot of ways may not have much of a shot, because because of it, I mean, it may become too much of a distraction. In a lot of ways, if you become too much of a distraction, they're not going to be willing. People, teams. GMs, coaches are not going to be willing to deal with it because you're going to bring a lot of attention. So I think it has to be an established player. I think it has to be an established player. And I think an established player, if if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be an established player. 
And I said, we'll see. Who will it be? Who will it be? Should be very interesting to see who comes out. And, and I'm apparently that there is a player who is who is willing and who is prepared to do it. Who is prepared to do it? But again, is a little cautious. We'll see if they decide to come out, and we'll see the reaction of the players. And I think you're, I think you know, on the surface, players are going to tell you, you know, obviously that they're for it, they're okay with it, doesn't matter, not a, not a big deal. But we'll see what happens behind closed doors, because behind closed doors, it could be a whole different situation. It could be a whole different situation. So we'll see what transpires. And I think a lot of people know within the locker room, players know within the locker room who's gay and who's not. I think they know that. I think they know that. So, again, we'll see how this whole thing plays out. We'll see if anyone is willing to do it. And when, if they are, when does it happen? Does it happen at the start of this season? Does it happen at the end of the season? When does it happen? I think it's going to happen. I just think it's a matter of when. We'll see what happens with this whole situation moving forward. We were expected to be joined by Robbie Jones, one of the stars of Temptation, Tyler Perry's new movie. Uh, We're going to have to reach. Robbie had a flight scheduled, so he was not able to do it on this particular day. We're looking to reschedule Robbie next week. Hope to have Robbie back, Robbie on the show. Next week we were supposed to have him on. Something came up for Robbie. Was not able to do it, but we will work diligently to get him on, if not next week or at least in the near future. But we're we're, we're going to work to get him on. And I know those who tuned in to, to listen to Robbie, we will get him on in the near future. But he was not able to do it today. Something came up for Robbie Jones, and we hope to have him on in the near future. But that was a great movie, by the way, Temptation, Tyler Perry's Temptation, Confession of a Marriage Counselor. Very good movie, very interesting movie. Saw it yesterday, and that was, you know, very compelling. Good movie. So if you haven't seen it, make sure you make your way to the theaters. Make your way to the theaters. Check out Tyler Perry's Temptation, Confession of a Marriage Counselor. And, again, we were supposed to have Robbie Jones, one of the stars of that movie, on this show, but we're going to get him on definitely in the near future, if not next week. So, Make sure you stick around and, and watch this, listen to this show in the near future. We shall have him on in the near future. I want to thank our TV insider, Brian Sheriff, for stopping by. Follow him on Twitter, at Brian Sheriff. I also want to thank Eastern Kentucky wide receiver, former Eastern Kentucky wide receiver, Tyrone Gord, for stopping by. Tyrone is preparing for the upcoming NFL draft, and appreciate him stopping by. Love to have him on in the near future. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Tyrone underscore Gord 8. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgam where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForIt. And also hit up our YouTube channel, YouTube slash user slash GoForIt, YouTube.com, excuse me, slash user slash GoForItGan. There you can hit us up and listen to some past interviews. Nice video presentation, by the way. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGan. For everybody here at GoForIt, we hope you enjoy your Easter. See you later. Take care. Bye.